Hey, Alex, I guess we're live on the internet. Oh, are we? That's great. It's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's our job, so we'll just keep going with it because I don't know what else to do. This is our job. This is what we do for a living. I woke up this morning, and I finished doing uh, Spooking with Scoops around midnight last night because I didn't want to start it until I didn't want to watch the first NFL game. Right. Because I had Peyton Manning in one of my leagues, uh, not the one that we're in, but in a different one. Went spectacularly. Yes, clearly. Seven touchdowns, 50 points. I don't, nothing else even basically has to happen. Yeah. And I am set for this week. Uh, so around the time that that game started taking a turn, I was like, okay, I'll go and I'll go and start the show. But then I woke up this morning. I don't know if you've had this before. Mm. I'm sure everyone has had this moment where I, my alarm went off and I looked at it. I was like, why would I do that? It's Saturday. I should sleep in. What am I doing getting up at 745? And then realizing very quickly... Oh no. Oh no, it's not Saturday. I've had that a few times uh where I've definitely woken up and thought it was the wrong day. Not necessarily Saturday, but yeah, I I've, I've definitely had those moments where I've woken up and was like, "Oh yeah, no, everything's fine. Holy shit, I was supposed to be at an appointment like 3 hours ago. Shit, shit, shit." Yeah. So, that was fun. But Spooky Goose was fun as well. I was playing. Uh... It's always a good time watching you get the shit scared out of you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it was interesting. There was a uh tweet from sean elliott yesterday who used to work for uh you know gfw and uh, cgw when those were magazines back in ziff davis back when there were magazines um and he's over at irrational now as a level designer he worked on bioshock infinite and he sort of tweeted about horror games and one of the things he he mentioned was that he sometimes gets overwhelmed playing those games because horror games in general have a tendency to never ever let up and in the sense that when the games do let up, it's only in the context of the threat having disappeared. Right. So, you know, like the monster that's chasing you or, or whatever has gone away and the music has died down. But everything around you in the space is still very foreboding and threatening. So you can't ever actually calm down. No. And he pointed to the very few games that actually sort of engage in this idea of giving the player a true break. Uh, Silent Hill 4, The Room which didn't even start as a Silent Hill game. It just got branded later. Um, that game has this sort of uh, narrative circle where you're always coming back to this room, and it's in your apartment, and it's a safe place. Uh, and then that also gives the designers a lot of leeway to start really screwing with you because they can turn that safe place against you. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and even as someone that enjoys these games that never let up, I can certainly sympathize with people who find that just completely overwhelming and too much. Yeah, I mean, that's that's me in a nutshell. I, mean, I think I've said before on here that, you know, my problem with, with horror games is not that I don't like being scared. It's the act of actually having to go through with the stuff that, you know, you're seeing as opposed to in a horror movie where you can just watch other people make the dumb decisions for you. Um, and that's what that's what happens when you watch people play horror yeah. games. Like, that's always sort of the experience that gets relayed to me about people that either enjoy watching other people do that uh, or, or watching me do it, is that it gives them the same fun and thrill ride of sort of a passive uh, engagement that you get from a film, um, but you also get to see these games where you also get to watch someone freak out uh, alongside uh, with it, which, which just allows you to sort of laugh at them, and that sort of helps cut the tension of what's happening on screen. And that is why I think people love Spooking with Scoop so much, because you're a good foil for that. You're a good person to watch get the shit scared out of you. And Well, and I, I, I take... I, you know, I try to explain it to people, and I, I don't blame them if they don't believe me, but 
anytime I actually get scared or get freaked out doing that, it is 100% genuine because I try to put myself as isolated as possible to sort of like let my guard down. It's why I have a drink or two before I start so that at least some of the nerves go away. Um, it's why we do it at night. It's why I do it by myself. Whereas I watch these other guys that, that do it on YouTube and, you know, not to take away any of their success and popularity because they are clearly doing much better than I am and are making a lot more money than I am doing what they're doing. But uh, none of it comes across as genuine because they're doing it in the day and, and the, the reactions are so hyper-exaggerated. Uh, so I sort of like, you know, I try and actually get scared, right. which is also what makes the, the feature uh, all the more terrifying because sometimes I'm like, why do I do this? It's not. This well, you do it fun. for our entertainment, for one thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, just a dance monkey dance. You, and, you, you, uh, your sacrifice fun. is not unappreciated, believe me, because it, it, it's because of that that I have been able to sort of observe several horror games. I probably wouldn't even try on my own, just because someone tells me they're scary, and I'm like, you know. And that's, I mean, yeah. yeah granted, I'm a, I'm a giant wuss, but that's, that's fine. But yeah, and I, I um, to, to your point earlier, uh, the safe place thing is something that I have definitely had with those games as well, like. I don't like games where I sometimes I feel like I, I there's no place for me to kind of take a breather, you know? And it's like you said with those games, like, a lot of times, you know, even in a quiet moment, the next corner or the next room or something's coming around and you're just like, nah, man, it, I know I know what's coming. I can't do it. I just can't progress. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I think I need to get over that because I really do want to play Amnesia and I really do want to play Outlast. I'm just having to steel myself pretty hard to actually sit in and start in on those. Well, those games are tough, too, because they purposely make, you know, they take away guns, right? Yeah. So they take away the one thing that makes the player feel safe, you know, in a game like Dead Space, where Dead Space is tense, but, you know, the reason these other games are so much scarier is because, as a player, all you can do is run. Right. All you can do is hide, and and they've taken away most of the proactive uh, engagement you can have with the, with the world around you, which which is makes them uh, all the all the scarier. But you you haven't been playing many scary games this week. You've been playing Rayman Le- Legends. I have. I always want to say Origins. I did. Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually played a little bit of Origins too, just to kind of remind myself on a couple of things. But uh, yeah, I mostly uh, since for basically from PAX on to Tuesday, I was just playing Rayman Legends a whole whole bunch. That's a really good game. This review is up on the site. I gave it five stars. Uh, it's probably my favorite game I've played all year at this point. Um, which is to say that I haven't necessarily been as impressed with this year's crop of games as I was last year's. But uh, so far, Rayman is the one that has given me the most just immediate and intense joy uh, playing through it. So are, are you are you a platformer guy by nature, or is it I mean, just Rayman specifically? I am, uh, especially 2D stuff. Um, that, that was kind of my jam growing up. It's been... You know, I, I, I haven't fallen too heavily in love with anything from, like, the last several years. I think the last two Rayman games were, you know, would certainly be up there. I think a couple of the new Super Mario Brothers games from the last several years would be up there, but maybe not the most recent ones. What about Galaxy? Galaxy? Well, that's not really a platformer, exactly, is it? Yeah, well, okay, all right. So, it's a 2D okay, you... game with some stuff. All right, right? we're saying yeah. 2D. Okay, we're saying 2D. Okay, yeah. all right, okay. I, was, I wasn't being that specific. Okay, I was going to say, if you are like Brad Shoemaker and have not played the Galaxy games, like, I'm, I'm literally going to tear my hair out because those are, like, both of those are some of the best games of, like, the last ten yeah, years. Yeah, I don't think I, I haven't really, really played those, so I'm sorry. You uh, haven't? Oh, my God! What is this fucking oh, wait, website about Mario that I for? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about something else entirely. I'm an idiot. No, I reviewed oh. the first one, for God's sakes. 
Great. Yeah, those games are awesome. Those <laughs> that are some would of the make best. it even weirder if you hadn't played yeah, it. No, as 3D platformers go, the, the the Mario Galaxy games are some of the best ever made. Totally. Yes, I'm 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 totally with you on that. I, I when you just said Galaxy, I was like, wait, I my brain just shut off in a different direction. I don't know. All right. Whew. Oh, uh, I almost had a meltdown on uh, camera. Yeah. No, I've I've, I've played uh, both right. of them. They're both awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, but no, Rayman. Right, well, uh, Rayman is 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 something pretty special as far as those kind of games go. I mean, the 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 Ubi art stuff was already impressive in Origins. That was you know, it, it, so it was kind of a given that the game was going to look great. But they they cha- they didn't change it drastically. Like the platforming is still very similar, but the difficulty balance and the way the 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 world progression and the level progression is designed and all the extra crap they've thrown in there, like that soccer game that Jeff and Brad totally lost their shit over in the in the quick look. All that stuff is really, really fun. It's really, really well done. And the touchscreen stuff, granted, in the quick look, they were playing the Xbox version, which requires you to press a button to do a lot of that stuff, and it just kind of automatically does it, and that's not as much fun. Uh, when I was playing it on the Wii U and the Vita, I really liked most of the touchscreen stuff, especially the Murphy levels. And I know some people have complained about that stuff being heavy in there. Honestly, with the actual touchscreen, I thought that stuff was a delight. I thought that game was super fun pretty much from top to bottom. Yeah, I'm. I was asking you on this uh, on AIM yesterday about this as I figure out which, which which ver- uh, version of this I play, and I think I'm I'm definitely gonna start on the Wii U one because it sounds like the the touch stuff is if you're gonna, you know, if you don't have a choice, this game is wonderful on any platform. But if you have the choice, oh yeah, you know, to play it on one that actually has the touch controls, and I've also like having just finished Earthbound, and there's a story on the site uh, where where I talk about having finished the the last bits of that game. Um, I've, like, just around the uh, my parents' house just been plugging the Wii U in wherever I just kind of be hanging out that afternoon. Right. And I just kind of be plucking away at the game. And that's been really awesome. Like, it's sort of crazy that I'm lugging around this console so that I can do it. You know, I wish I could... I would pay 100 bucks to buy a bunch of little satellites that I could just place around the house so it could beam the signal. And I'm sure in, like, 10 years we'll have devices that can do just that. Uh, but for the time being, uh, I, I am totally imagining how awesome it would be to be, you know, watching a terrible new episode of Dexter, but we're so close to the end, so I'm watching it anyway. And uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be watching uh, and playing Rayman Legends as well? So I think that's probably where we're going to end up playing it. I mean, I'm with you on the second part of that. I think I would skip the awful episode of Dexter because I have not watched an episode of Dexter since, like, season three. So I'm I'm pretty well off that shit. I like watching how shows end. Sure. So what I tend to do is when they get really bad, I throw them to the side, and then I come back once they have an end date, and then I just find, you know, I won't use up what I find, what I guess I would call precious, valuable time to watch them, but when you, I don't know, when you've got free time that you don't really care how you spend it, just sort of like slowly catch up on a show so you have some sense of what's happening, um... And then I like to at least watch the final season. So, like, True Blood gave up on two seasons ago. But now True Blood is going to end next year. So I I intend on watching that last season. Just because I think it is fascinating to see how different shows handle it. You know, especially as you're watching Breaking Bad sort of wrap up in the best way possible. And then watching shows just completely shamble to the finish line with bad acting and bad writing and just... Wow, we should have ended this t- three or four years ago, which is essentially Dexter. You know, so. like Lost. Uh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I can't even. I can't even argue. I can't even. I hate. don't even. I actually don't uh, hate the last season of Lost. I just like 
like jabbing you with that one a little bit every yep. now and again. No, it's it's re- it's really easy. Yeah. No, you're uh, an easy all right, let's uh, let's let's transfer over to uh, some headlines. Yeah. Um, do you wanna do you wanna kick us off? Oh, uh, I don't know. There's there's some stuff to talk about. I feel like okay. maybe now is the time when we can talk a little bit more about some of this Penny Arcade stuff in, in, in slightly sure. more detail. Because now the, the details are kind of more out there. People sort of know what happened. So Mike Kralik... Starting off on a big note, Alex Navarro. Well, you know, it's kind of the biggest thing anyone's been talking about for the last couple of days. So, I mean, what I'll say is, so Mike Kralik, during a panel, straight up said he regretted taking out the uh, the, the Dick Wolves t-shirts when they produced them. Uh, it was something that, you know, a lot of people had sort of, not necessarily applauded, but had been, you know, sort of thankful that they did when they did it a few years ago. And him kind of going back on that upset a lot of people. When it was specifically him saying that he regretted taking them right. down, not that he regretted making right. them was sort of the, you know, the very specific detail that then caused a lot of uh, the, the, the commentary over the last couple of yeah. days. So that happened. A lot of people became very upset. Uh, several articles were written by various people saying, you know, either they're going to boycott PAX or they are in a conflicted place where they are thinking about doing so. Uh, Mike has since gone on to write another apology, uh, of which I think he has written at least maybe three or four this year. Uh, this is a weird one for me, because as much as I have pretty much dismissed Kralik, uh completely out of hand as far as someone that I would ever really want to pay attention to anymore... I sort of can't bring myself to completely just say, well, I'm just not going to go to PAX anymore because that has a lot of different consequences to it and a lot of different uh, implications to it that I'm not entirely convinced that I'm ready to say, yeah, you know what? No, fuck that. I don't want to be any part of that because I don't think it's quite as cut and dry to that. I'm kind of curious where you come off on this stuff right now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm where you are, uh, and I think that all comes from a place where, at least for me, uh, it would be very easy to just say, ah, screw it, all right, you know, not going to that, uh, but that we have so many people that support the site that go to PAX and have a great time, and it is the only place where we can meet these people and hang out with them and, and show our support in person for what they do for us, and it's tough. It's like what PAX provides for us as a site and on a personal level, like I, I'm really thankful for but then on sort of an intellectual level, I, you know, I, I look at these comments that are being made and I can't help but want to sort of just dismiss it out of hand and, and wash my hands of the whole thing. So it's, it's really frustrating. I think that's where you see a lot of the tension come from when people are talking about it. It's recognizing a lot of the good that the PAX does do for people. Um, and then, you know, obviously feeling terrible for the people that go to PAX and feel it's an unsafe place, that they are unwelcome. Um, or feeling that they are obligated to go there out of a sense of this is a great place to show your your, your product to, to gamers, um, but you don't actually personally feel uh, comfortable or safe being there. Um, that That's a problem. And I think where I fall on this latest apology is that, you know, I want to believe, right. but I, I don't. And it's it seems like an empty apology. He says all the right words. He hits all the right notes. But what has to happen going forward is, is showing meaningful change. And it's curious because I think what's happening right now with Penny Arcade is, specifically in regards to Penny Arcade and the relationship with this this expo they've created, is that uh, they're going to potentially run into issues like this again, where 
what they want to say and what they want to do runs contradictory to what is necessary for running the safest, most inclusive convention, right? Yeah. So, you know, if they want to make dangerous comedic jokes, and, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. I'm, I am not interested in, in censoring their, their freedom of speech, and I, I don't have a whole lot of interest in debating uh, whether or not it's uh, okay or not okay sure. for comedians to make rape jokes. I'm not, I'm not a comedian, so I'm just not engaged enough to, to really have a whole lot of thoughtful commentary there. But I think that they are running into a problem where they're, what they want to do as, uh, as artists is running in conflict with what needs to be done for their convention. And, and I don't know how they resolve that contradiction, um, but I think that is where a lot of this is happening is because they have the power to influence this convention. Uh, but this convention is kind of off here doing its own thing. And it's frustrating when the two overlap in, in problematic ways. Um, and, you know, that's not that's not an easy problem to solve. Yeah. And, and to be a fly on the wall uh, at the conversations they must have over how to handle that stuff. Um, given that when you watch that exchange happen on stage between uh, – sort of the three primary characters involved, you don't get the sense that that the other two necessarily uh, agree uh, with everything that is coming out of uh, one of their mouths, and yet they continue to work together. Yeah. And, and maybe that is a contradiction that they can't really solve. So I don't know. You know, Maybe at one point they spin off Penny Arcade Expo and it's branded and they're still there and they're still a big draw. But maybe they're not the ones organizing it. I don't know. You know, I I, I don't know what they do from here. Um, but you know, it's it's probably too early to say if that has any. You know, I guess you know we should at least clarify that like this is sort of just our yeah. reactions yeah. to this stuff. This isn't shouldn't be taken as no. sort of a site platform. Um, and and we'll anything like that is 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 it's just way too early sure. to even have those discussions. That's that's something we'll talk about um, if we talk about it. Uh, you know, closer to something like PAX East, but. But yeah, I, I think they're running into an artistic contradiction that is hard to well, resolve. Well, they're also—I mean, and this is this is the inherent danger you run into when you craft a site around personalities. Um, it's one thing if you're just like an editorial publication or whatever, and you're sort of not really the—you know—it it doesn't really matter who the voice is. It's all kind of one unified voice, and there aren't people kind of going off the rails and saying all these weird things that are inherently representative of the brand that you are a part of. It's something that you know our site hasn't really run into problem-wise, I don't think, a whole lot, but it is something we've had to be mindful of because our personalities and our, you know, existence is so inherently tied to what Giant Bomb as an entity is that anytime any of us maybe starts to go off the rails a little bit, that becomes kind of weirdly representative of the Giant Bomb whole, whether it should be or not. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that is, that. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when I go off and, and you know, I'm talking, you know, but sexism, misogyny, like, again, not necessarily representative of what everyone at Giant Palm thinks. And that's what we try to yeah. impart with the, in the site as much as we can is, like, it's kind of a platform for all of us to kind of just do what we want. You know, we, we definitely talk about stuff, and we're definitely aware of what everyone else is up to. Uh, but, you know, nothing about the, the content on the right. site is, you know, represents all of us. We are not edge. Sure. In that respect. But in, the, in that sense, when you put those personalities up to the front of the site, the scrutiny on those personalities and what they have to say becomes much, much, much more intense. And that's something that I don't think Kraluk has ever gotten used to. Um, it just seems like he's not into the idea. Like, he's, he considers any sort of form of criticism of his speech censorship. That's what he keeps saying over and over again. Censorship, censorship, whatever. Whether you agree with that or not, I don't personally 
you have to realize that when your voice is out there and you are saying things, especially when you are in a, a position of, you know, uh, sort of power that he is in, anything you say will be, you know, sort of used against you, whether it should be or not. In a lot of cases, it's maybe often better to just not throw things out there like, you know, about transgender people if you don't really understand what you're talking about or, you know, make random jokes about, you know, people's reactions to, you know, I do I think the Dick Wolves thing was super offensive? No. Do I see how people could be upset by it? Yeah. Getting upset that people were upset by it and then kind of throwing that back in their faces and doing a whole big thing. Like, that whole handling of that situation forever has been bad. It has been bad. And He, he, needs, to, he needs to be above yeah. that. And, and that, that is, you know, if he wanted to stick by artistic intent and, our, and artistic integrity, you know, that's fine. Then, you know, people can be upset and, and that conversation can happen about his work. But instead he chose to engage. He chose to get involved. And he came across as petty yeah. and, and sad. And, and he, I think a conflict, you know, I don't want to get too much armchair psychology, but um, a conflict that he needs to resolve, which which is something I work on every single day, is is realizing if you are in a position of influence and power that your words have consequences more so than others. Right. And you can't pretend that you are not in charge of a multi-million dollar company that has a hugely influential and impactful convention and that the words that come out of your mouth are used and engaged with in ways that are very unlike anyone else they are you are not a person uh that has two followers on twitter and the only thing that your stuff goes out to are your friends and and i i I always kind of get the sense that the way he when he ends up walking this stuff back a bit or trying to explain himself is that maybe he hasn't fully embraced and i can sort of sympathize with this aspect a little bit is sympathizing with the fact that you are a super popular dude and that your words have consequences and coming to grips with that and understanding what that means. Um, but the problem is that he's done this a couple of times now, and at some point um, it becomes inexcusable to sort of walk into that trap over and over again. At, at some point it uh, becomes important for Koo just to say to him, look, I understand you have opinions about things. I understand you like being vocal about things. You are doing nothing but harm right now when you do this stuff. And I, I have to believe he's gotten a hold of him and said that to him at some point. I have to believe Jerry at some point has gotten a hold of him and said that to him. And maybe there's just no changing him. And that's fine. He is who he is, and that's that. But, like I said, I've kind of written him off as someone that I pay attention to anymore. Like, I don't have any interest in his opinions or what he has to say, because he's sort of proven to me that he, just, he and I do not have similar viewpoints whatsoever or ways of handling things. So, you know, it's unfortunate, because I, I, I like what those guys do on you know, at least the PAX level, and I, you know, like you said, it's early, we don't really know what, what this is all going to, you know, kind of mean for how people treat this show in the long run, but it's unfortunate, it's sad, I kind of wish he wouldn't, he would stop poking this hornet's nest and stop making a big fucking thing out of this, because he just makes it worse every time he opens his mouth or says or does anything, and it's just maybe time to just stop. Yeah, so, so we'll see, yeah. you know. This is an evolving story, and we'll see where this goes from yep. here. Um, but I, I want to be positive, but uh, definitely definitely running uh, out of reasons to be. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, moving on. Yes. Um, I find this interesting, and I have not really seen this before, is that the, the Mighty Number no. 9, uh, which that's Keiji Inafune's, you know, sort of Mega Man's successor, spiritual successor, um, Wildly successful. They've lowered some of their the console stretch goals by three hundred thousand dollars. I have never seen that before, where they have, you know, stretch goals always just keep going. 
but the idea that they have sort of looked at the money, run the numbers, and said, eh, you know, we can do this for less. Not only do I think that is super smart, because it makes a, a goal that people really want way more achievable, but I think that's a very respectful way to treat the audience, where if you are in a position to offer it for a cheaper price, that you do. Like, I don't know. That just seems like a, a really classy goddamn move I, uh, on that I have part. to believe it's one of those things where they looked at the numbers and are like, well, we can do a lot of this stuff for cheaper than, you know, perhaps what we were putting out there. And, you know, I mean, they've already more than met their goal, which is great. Um, them doing more things like this to kind of, you know, keep fan interest and, you know, keep people wanting to donate and, you know, adding more things to the whole project is, is fantastic. You know, I, I again, I, I sort of joked last time you know it was like do we really need another Mega Man game but you know at the same time everything about this project seems like it's 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 going in a pretty positive direction and i'm you know honestly i'm letting myself get a little excited for it i don't normally get excited about kickstarter games until they're out and i can kind of see what they're like and i go oh well, yeah okay this actually you know ftl is a perfect example of a game i paid no attention to until it was out and then i was like okay i totally would have supported this if i actually been paying attention to it before this is a game I'm right. almost considering supporting on my own just because it sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. I don't know. I, I, I like Mega Man, Man still. And, and Infune is just such a nice yeah. dude, right? I mean, like, every time I've talked to that guy, he's just like, no, I hope you haven't lost it. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, you know, it's just like, man, I hope this is good. I hope this all doesn't just blow up in our faces. Like, because he is genuinely just like, you know, you know, public and private personas can be different, but he always comes across to me as just a really, really nice guy with a lot of... Uh, genuine passion for the industry and his fans and and the games he creates and like this this is a rad thing and i i really hope i really hope we get a cool game out of it um and and like you know that's that's why it's heartening to see the stretch goals brought down because it's not out of like oh no like we're not gonna hit our funding goal because they did that they're well past that so to see them sort of dynamically changing it um i think is is really encouraging i guess they're they're at 1.727 um, and at 1.75, they get a complete making of documentary. And then at 2.2, uh, that's when the uh, current-gen console versions happen. And then there are stretch goals beyond that, which they have not announced. And at, with 25 days to go, and the fact that it, it is really not uh, slowing pace, I, I think they're going to be well on their way to you know, 5 to 8 million by, by the end of this, which is... yeah. Just crazy. How do you think Capcom? It's crazy. How do you think Capcom's reacting to all of this, like the sudden influx of, of interest toward this thing that they are no longer a part of, you know, with Inafune and what have you. I think it just makes it awkward for whatever they have planned for Mega Man, because um, clearly they're going to go back to that at some point. Um, I think this sort of makes it, you know, when do you do that? How do you handle bringing that back? Um, I don't know. I think it puts them in a very awkward position. I, you know, they. I, you know, there was a lot of questions directed to Inafune about, like, do you expect uh, legal action from Capcom? And God would hope they do not move in that direction because that would be about the worst thing you could do uh, to sort of endear anyone. Uh, I think the best thing they could do is maybe to give it their blessing. You know, I don't know if they can do that publicly, but I, I you know, whatever their, you know, the fallout from, from sort of that breakup, I think the classiest thing Capcom could do would just be like, you know, we're happy to see, you know, someone who's contributed so much to our company to go off and be successful doing their own thing. And, you know, we're excited to, you know, show what Capcom has in store for the Blue Bomber going forward. Which is probably um, not very much right now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they do going forward. Like, 
ugh, like they've canceled, you know, Mega Man Universe, that sort of little big planet tool. Uh, that did not look very good, yeah. to be fair. So maybe that wasn't the worst thing to to have canceled. And with Inafune no longer there, you're certainly not going to make Mega Man Legends 3. So what they do from here, I mean, I don't know. Like, do you do you outsource it? Do you give Mega Man to, like, a way forward and see what they do? I mean, I, I'm not I'm not sure what the path forward is for, for Mega Man. Um, you know, they tried that 3D reboot uh, that was part of a... Uh, feature on Polygon if you if you haven't seen the sort of Metroid priming of of Mega Man, which I, people seem to hate. I, I at least they were trying to do something cool with I, it or interesting. Maybe is the better yeah, word. Yeah, they were trying to do something interesting. I, I just having seen that whatever that that test footage was or whatever they put out for that, and kind of thinking about that concept more and more, I'm just like, nah, nah. It's it's not what I want out of Mega Man. Which isn't to say that I have a whole lot I really want or expect out of Mega Man at this point, but. Uh, as someone who was never as hot on the the Metroid Prime games as everyone else was, I think I extra kind of don't want that. Ooh. No, they're fine. They're just they're oh. not they're not my jam the way you know they were for a lot of other people. All right, well at least you know like Jeff who just outright hates those games. Ah, I love Metroid Prime. At least I only played one and three. I didn't play two. I played one and but... two. Uh, I liked one. Okay, I thought two. Like two, I just quit like a third of the way through. I just didn't care enough. Yeah, I know. Yeah, two was was fairly divisive, so I ended up never never sort of trying it all. But uh, the third one was friggin' great with the the Wii. That's controls. what I hear. Those, That's what I hear. The that series translated very well. So at some point, I need to go back and pick up that trilogy for the Wii, so I can I can play the first one with that. Uh, oh, you got anything on your end? Uh... Kind of curious what you thought about this one. Uh, not to keep getting all into right. these sort of uh, you know these, these these particular types of issues, but. Boom, you're going to talk about Hotline Miami. I am Miami. totally going to talk about Hotline Miami, too. Uh, news came out. Uh, well, th- so, okay. There was a demo that uh, was sent around for the press. You and I saw that demo at E3 uh, for Hotline Miami, too. It included a scene where uh, there is an implied uh, beginning of a sexual assault of a woman about to happen. And then it cuts to a director yelling cut and yelling a bunch of sleazy things and, you know, all sorts of kind of unpleasant shit going on there. Uh, and some people took umbrage with this scene because, you know, as much as Hotline Miami was an extremely violent kind of, you know, generally unpleasant, had a generally unpleasant aesthetic to it, uh, that was kind of a step further than anything they had tried in the first game. And it was kind of weird to have that sort of just plop down in the middle of this, like, press demo. You know, it, not, it just a, this scene kind of apropos of nothing uh, in with the regular Hotline Miami hyperviolence. Uh, so some people became very, yeah. very upset by this. Uh, they didn't care for the way the game handled it or did, or, you know, what it did was doing with it. Uh, the developers have come out and said that they are re-examining the scene. They are, they took it out of that demo and they are sort of re, you know, rejiggering, trying to figure out like what makes the most sense. Now you and I both saw this demo. We saw this scene take place. I remember watching it and going, well, that's something, uh, uh, and there was a woman in the room. There with was us. Megan. Uh, Megan from Polygon was in the room with us, and none of us really batted an eye when we saw it. I think we both kind of looked at each other and went, "Huh, all right." Uh, well, I, I, I think you know my feeling on that was I don't have a whole lot of context for this, so I don't, I don't know how to respond. You know, the way they set it up is that you know a, a rape is about to occur, and then cut, yeah. and then there's a director, and and they've talked about how they want. They had a friend of the the developers had a friend that interpreted the first game as a horror film, and so they wanted to extend that uh, that feeling that analogy uh, much more explicitly in the second one. So I think this 
you know, this this game is supposed to be in some ways uh, sort of a commentary on what it's like to, you know, it's like sort of voyeuristic yeah. and, and to watch and, and what the relationship is between the player and the viewer and the content they watch, which are some interesting ideas to explore. Um, so I sort of brushed it to the side because I was like, I don't, I don't really know what they're going for yeah. here. Um, but certainly understand why someone could view that and then be like, what the fuck is going on? And, and I really appreciated the, So there's a whole interview up at rock, paper, shotgun, uh, where they talk specifically about this. And, uh, what I really like about this exchange is that the developers don't say we're going to take it out or, you know, all they say is that we, this was clearly the wrong way to present right. it because there is more context for why this is here and why we wanted to include this scene in the rest of the right. game. And without the rest of the game in front of you, it's hard to understand that context. So, you know, all the developers have said is that, okay, so this reaction has happened. That's not okay with us. Are there ways that we can change the scene, uh, change the game uh, to, to better make have that scene make sense for what we want the player to come sure. away with. And if there's not, then maybe they take it out. But, you know, they I think this is the way this is supposed to work, right? right? Like, which is where a, a thing goes out there, an artist sees it, and, and games are very much different, I think, from other art forms where, but, but also aren't in that, you know, there are focus tests and you get feedback. Like, this is just happening in the public as opposed to in private, and the developer isn't saying, well, you know what? If people are offended, we're not going to put that in the game. All they're, they're saying is that this is an interesting reaction. How, this isn't the reaction we wanted out of the player. How can we adjust the game to get more at our own artistic intent? And that seems like a really healthy dialogue to have about a scene that, that obviously provoked a lot of reaction from Yeah, people. and I think that you know, my reaction watching it was, like like yours, I was like, well, I don't really understand why this is here because you know, as the developer said, there is a context for it, but they weren't presenting it. It was like if you showed a trailer for Irreversible that was just two minutes of the rape scene and like a minute of dialogue, and there was no context for how any of that was put together. You know, and it's and right. with that with that kind of demo, it's hard to really parse what they're going for. I think criticism of something like that is valid. I think reexamining something like that is valid. I'm never going to say to, you know, uh, someone who is, if there is a context for it that makes sense within the, you know, the scope of the game. And granted, it's an insanely violent and horrible game anyway. That's what Hotline Miami is all about. It's about people getting their skulls caved in with bats and shot in the face and just all sorts of just ill-ass shit happening all the time. I'm not saying this is, you know, this scene that we saw was any worse than really any of that. It was definitely an uncomfortable moment in a game that is generally nothing but uncomfortable moments, just of a different type. So I, in my opinion, you know, it's, I, I, I applaud them for, for examining it and looking for the best way to present, you know, what they want, whatever story it is they want to tell. I understand also why some people were upset by it, because again, without any sort of context, that is a weird thing to just kind of insert there amidst everything else. Uh, I hope that, you know, in the end, their vision lines up into something that is kind of provocative and interesting the way the first game was. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I think if you, you know, this was all sort of kicked off by a really talented writer, Kara Ellison, um, who, who wrote about this, and this is sort of st- sort of started the snowball of this conversation. If you go back and read her original piece, she is explicit about, about acknowledging the contradiction of what she's writing right. about. And this co- comes up a lot of the times in the conversation about Hotline Miami is, uh, and, and this scene in particular is, why is this too far when you're talking about a game that is 
you know, about horrible, horrible violence over and over again. And she writes about that. And, and I think that's what made her piece interesting was, you know, exploring what the lines are for each of us. And if that line is there for me, does that mean that line needs to be there for you? And why am I okay with this violence? And what does that say about me that I'm okay with that violence and, and okay engaging right. with that? But then suddenly this piece is too far for me. And is that purely about my personal experience and and not so much about you know what we should be drawing a line with in terms of uh, what artists are allowed to put in their game. And she talks about in the piece, and I think that's what makes that piece so powerful is acknowledging that because that's immediately going to be the first piece of criticism to an article like that is well, why are you okay with the violence? And she points that out, saying like maybe I shouldn't be okay with that, or if I am okay with that, maybe I should be okay with this. And and instead, that piece is purely about. This is my reaction, and she put it out there. There was no condemning yeah. it. There was no saying, take it out. You know, what happened after that was out of her control. And I think in terms of this is, you know, I feel like what criticism should be is is having an honest reaction to something an artist created and then the artist taking that, thinking about it, maybe doing something with it, maybe not doing yeah. any with it. Maybe the scene is exactly as it is in the final game because they look at their game in context and say, this is what we wanted to do. And that's fine. You know, then people can approve or condemn that all they want. But the exchange of criticism happened, I think, in, in sort of the healthiest way possible. And that's the thing. And that is the inherent thing when we're talking about criticism versus censorship. This is the problem that I think a lot of people don't understand. You can make whatever you want artistically. You can put whatever you want into your, you know, your movie, your game, your book, whatever. You can make it as horrible and fucked up as you want. People have every right to criticize that. They have every right to say, I don't like this. Here's why this doesn't work for me. Here's why this makes no sense contextually. Here's why this offends me. That it, it, saying something offends you is not inherently a call for censorship. It is not a call to erase that thing, to get rid of it, to make it go away. It is, you can condemn it. You can say, I don't, care. I don't like it. I think this is bad for this reason and whatever. But... There are th th that there's the big difference between actively criticizing something and actively trying to censor it, and I think this is the problem that a lot of people don't necessarily like. They conflate the two things in a way that doesn't really make sense. Any mm -hmm. it, anything can exist and should exist within the realm of art, and you can do whatever you want with it. Any and the the consensus among people is what's eventually going to decide whether it's a success or a failure. If enough people don't like it, if enough people are offended by it, enough people don't care for it, then yeah, it's not going to work out. You're not going to sell a lot. You know, it's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean that we are trying to censor you or get your thing taken away or, you know, have it removed from the, you know, the, the, the greater, you know, pop culture consciousness. It's just saying, well, we don't want any part of this. And when I see people yelling about censorship and peace being too PC and being like, you know, this, this is the, like even writing like that, like you said, that woman's criticism was incredibly thoughtful. It made perfect sense. I understand why, you know, I understood her juxtaposition between trying to understand the violent, like why she's okay with the violence and why this one scene was so bothersome to her. That's not calling for the game to remove this thing. That's not calling for the game to be banned or for any of that stuff to happen. It's just saying, Hey, this made me really uncomfortable and everyone should have that platform and, and every right to say what offends them and what makes them uncomfortable. That's part of being include, you know, having that inclusiveness and having that sort of, uh, you know, that that willingness to sort of listen to other people's opinions, that empathy. Uh, and I think that, you know, so far the way the guys at at, at uh, Denison have handled it has been really yep. good. So I'm I'm hopeful that you know in the end their product is not uh, 
negatively impacted by any of this and they were able to contextualize what they wanted to say originally uh, in a way that people will get and it will work. Yeah, well well said. Um, man, most of this covers, that covers most of the big news that, that happened this week. Controversy, drama in the video game I industry. I mean, there's some, sm- there's some smaller stuff. Um, I guess I'll point out at this point, if people want to ask us some questions as we wind down, because uh, the, the Hangout uh, lag is, is more so than uh, our normal Twitch streams, uh, go ahead and at me in the chat. And uh, for anyone watching on YouTube, if you want to participate, it's in giantbomb.com slash chat. Uh, that's the chat that we check for, for questions. So shoot some questions our way, and uh, there's a couple smaller headlines that, that we can talk about uh, while we wait for those to, to come Indeed. in. Indeed. Uh, there is a Dark Souls 2 beta happening mm. soon. Alex, if you were offered the chance to play Dark Souls 2... Would you do it? No. I played Dark Souls uh, for a little bit. It is not my kind of game. I don't like punishing games. I don't like games that make me angry in any way, shape, or form. I like happy things. I like Raymans. I like my Kirby epic yarn. I like I like things that you know are cuddly and soft, and also occasionally you know, like sports. Some sports are fun. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, I, Dark Souls doesn't do it for me. I don't think I would really want to play Dark Souls too personally. Uh, I know there are some people in the office who have a great deal of love for it. I respect that entirely. Not for me. Yeah, I th- I think I'm going to give Dark Souls a solid shot later this year. I Now that I'm back in a climate that has actual seasons, mm. at some point it's going to get cold and I'll have less reasons to go outside. And the winter seems like a good time to, at the very least, give Dark Souls oh, yeah. an appreciable yeah. shot. That that's definitely atmospherically a game that fits very much into the sort of cold, dank nothingness of winter. So yeah, good luck. Yeah, with that. so so I I I think I may be treating Dark Souls similar to how I treated uh, the last Monster Hunter, which which is not to necessarily put it on my shoulders that I'm going to finish Dark Souls, but I would like to play enough of it that like I I know what it is. Like I played enough of Dark Souls to get a sense of like oh okay I see what this does for people, and then I sort of moved on. I played through the first right. boss and. I'd like to do more than that, sort of as sort of like maybe a preparatory, you know, before Dark Souls 2. Just for me, it feels like there are just so many people that get so much out of that game. I want to go a little bit further to see if I can get that too. But I think similar to horror games, like if you don't go to games, if you don't want to go to games to feel stressed out, then like I don't blame you for not wanting to play Dark Souls because a huge amount of, of playing those games, similar to horror, is is being stressed out and frustrated and angry. And and not everyone wants that out of their games, and I don't blame them for it. Agreed. Uh, so, speaking of Rayman, just from earlier, uh, so the Vita version, for some reason, was missing uh, a number of levels. Uh, these invasion levels, which are remixes of existing levels. Uh, they had previously advertised that the Vita version would be feature complete with uh, all the other versions, and then those were just kind of missing, which is weird. And then literally the day everyone figured that out, uh, Ubisoft came out and said that uh, they are going to be patching those levels into the Vita version, which is going to add a whole bunch of like storage stuff to your to your game, which is kind of dumb. Uh, I don't really know what to say about this exactly, other than that's kind of weird and dumb, and I don't really know why that happened. But I just kind of wanted to point out that apart from that, the Vita version of that game is really great. And I wish, I hope more people play it because, <clears throat> goddamn it, the Vita needs games. And uh, well, I think it's kind of a bummer those aren't in there from the from the beginning. You'll get those levels eventually, and you can play it on the Vita. More people should play on the Vita. The Vita's fun. It's a good system. There are games. Do you know if the Do you know if the saves transfer between the PS3 and Vita versions? I don't versions? believe it is crossplay. 
Um, it is they are specifically okay. different versions uh, for whatever reason, so you cannot do that. But Vita, mm-hmm. eh. yeah. What does that mean? Just play the, the, the I want the Vita to succeed. That's what it boils down to. I want that system to do well because okay. I really like All it, right. and I don't want it to just like be an abject failure. I think the more time you end up spending with that system, the more you come to appreciate uh, the parts of it that that do work really well. I still think the the interface in general is garbage. Uh, I hate those little bubbles on the front screen. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a it is a fine secondary portable system, and I think it does that role really really Agreed. well, which puts it pretty low on the priority list if you are just casually into sure, games. Sure. But for the kind of people that are watching a morning show about video games, it seems like you know the Vita is increasingly uh, an interesting platform, and there was actually. Uh, chatter in an interview this week somewhere uh, with some Sony executive where they said they are seriously considering doing a PS4 Vita sort of combo pack, which I think is super yes. smart. And had I sort of not found my way uh, back to the Midwest with the Office Vita that I offered to return and everyone said, no, it's cool, uh, that would have been the package that I would yeah. pick up. Because I think the idea of, of putting those two together... Um, is so smart because then it also it, it also just makes that package really complete in terms of the ecosystem. You know, you, if there's some sort of package, it's like, hey, you get a three months of PlayStation Plus, a PS4, and a Vita for you know whatever that would come out to. You know, like six fifty or seven hundred dollars. Like that's a that's a pretty damn good package, yeah. uh, and you would get a lot of games up front right away uh, for use on on all of those machines. That would be pretty interesting. Agreed. Uh, I got two more quick ones. I don't know if you got any more. Uh, no, why don't you why don't you go through yours and then we'll we'll jump. To uh, new uh, mod or I guess you know internal created uh, Infinity playsets have been released, including one that seems a little bit like Columbia from Bioshock Infinite. Patrick, is this an effective way to teach children about racism and classism? <laughs> that was so weird. I, I I thought that was an actual partnership and put up this the video on the site. Mostly because well, yeah. Johnny was just yelling into it, like screaming into a <laughs> mic. They did not do any sort of audio he balancing know how to do anything on that else video. Into a microphone. It's great. <clears throat> well, the producer that was in there recording with him should have told him. Uh, but that's why it was funny, and I'm glad it happened. Um, but what a strange thing! Because then I put up the video, and then realized as people were commenting on it that at no point do they actually say Bioshock Infinite, like. It's just weird. Yeah. I mean, it's cool, well, I guess. they Columbia. Over but, and over again, they say Columbia. Right. And then they mention, like, you know, an infinite something or other in, in one of the decks for, for that thing. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, you're really not trying to hide this whatsoever. Um, I, I mean, it's a free download, and it was something made, like, by their internal group, like, their their mods or their, their, their like, developer staff people. So it's not like they're really trying to profit off of this it's just something someone made that people were able to download which is cool but at the same time the way they're promoting it is maybe a little on the edge of like ken levine sitting somewhere with his arms folded kind of just harumphing over the whole thing and i i don't know it just seems like kind of a weird weird way to promote content that is not necessarily licensed but also not really like officially anything so i don't know it's a bizarre gray area to me yeah um but cool i guess i mean it's cool that they're doing stuff like that i just i just think that was a weird one to kick off with especially considering that's an m-rated game full of racism and communist people being persecuted and just did i mention the racism oh god so much racism Ooh. oh 
Is it yes. hot in here? Uh, a, a, is, oh, wait, do you I have any more headlines? Hayao okay. Miyazaki is it. retiring. Patrick, name me your favorite Miyazaki movie. Ooh. You know, it was Princess Mononoke for a long, long time, but I really, I think Spirited sure. Away is is probably is probably my favorite. Uh, I, I feel like this is a great time to go back and sort of explore his whole filmography, which I have not done. You know, I sort of, I sort of getting, I got into Miyazaki as a result of all this chatter about Mononoke, which is kind of, is that where they first started coming out here properly in theaters with like the Disney That was partnership? the first one I saw um, in America with like English voice acting and all that stuff. Um, right. I went back and watched all the previous stuff after that. Uh, I don't remember if that was actually officially the first one or not though. Okay, but that, that's, I feel like for a lot of people that was their first sort of uh, experience with Miyazaki. I think maybe it was because it, you know, dealt with, you know, had a lot of violence, so it had, sort of had this appeal that wasn't, you know, just whimsy. Um, but uh, that was sort of up front my favorite one, but uh, Spirited Away over time has has sort of cemented itself as, as my favorite uh, Miyazaki film. But I, I have not seen enough of his older catalog to sort of like say that definitively and... If he's retiring, you know, that seems like a great time to, to go back and, and check totally. that out. Uh, for me, it's, it's um, Spirited Away second place, and then it's a tie at the top for Mononoke and uh, Totoro. Because Totoro is just... That, yep. I just want to hug it. Just, just want to hug that movie. You everything do? about it. <laughs> uh, this is a good first question from... Oh, where is it? Uh, I lost it. Oh, here we go. AJ Man, one one oh one. Uh, a recent trend with Ubisoft seems to be hundreds of hours of game footage, trailers, and walkthroughs. Yes. Do you see this as actually working or fatiguing you on their games? I see what they're trying to do, which is to keep their games in the uh, collective consciousness uh, for as long as humanly possible. Uh, you know, they're, when you look at something like an Assassin's Creed 4, a Watch Dogs, uh, what are they, they're doing with Blacklist for like two and a half years straight. Uh they're trying to make sure that their games don't get forgotten. They're trying to make sure that there is always something out there for their games that is uh, new-ish, even if it's, you know, the 75th time you've seen that cutscene from Blacklist, like, they're still gonna, you know, throw it in there. Uh, they just want to make sure that people are still aware of it. Because there are so many games coming out nowadays, there's so much going on, and there's so many different products to compete against, especially in the holiday season. So you have to keep that that interest level as high as you can, and with less and less, you know, like, magazine exclusives and other things to give to to press to to keep their you know their their games high up on the the interest list this is the this is the only kind of real method they have does it cause horrible fatigue god yes does it ever by like the 12th blacklist trailer i was pretty tired of trying to come up with things to say about that game and then they they put out another like 24 after that so it's like I think that there is such a thing as overkill. I think they have maybe reached that 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 point with uh, with Assassin's Creed Four. I think they are coming dangerously close to it with Watch Dogs, but have not quite bro- you know breached the, the the wall there yet. Uh, my suggestion to them would be maybe try doing one every few weeks instead of like literally one every week because I'm pretty sure we have been getting links for like Black Flag trailers every week for at least a couple of months and they're not short no. videos right like it's not like these are, are short vignettes of hey let's do a quick highlight reel of what it's like to get on a ship in in black flag like these are 
sometimes 10 minutes plus of just raw footage. And I wonder if this stems from just, hey, look at the popularity of things like Let's Plays, where it's just like people like really extended walkthroughs. And and on some level, I appreciate that because it gives you an actual better sense of what the game is by it doesn't feel as sort of PR scripted of like, let's make sure we show all the cool moments. You know, I mean, there's there's certainly some of that happening. They are choosing what right. goes out there. But you are in some sense getting a better, more grounded look at the game through lengthy gameplay footage. Um, but yeah, there's just so much of it. I don't know. I would definitely throw that to the audience. There's probably an interesting story to be written there because I feel like this is Ubisoft specifically yeah. uh, that that is doing this. They do it the most. Um, there are other publishers that, def- like 2K, when they're really behind a game, like they will start throwing out a lot of videos for stuff, but they're not nearly as... I don't know if abusive is the right word, but that's the one that came to mind uh, in terms of just like, you know, just just fire hosing people with with that stuff. Uh, Well, it even gets to the point where, you know, we're looking, you know, you and I are the ones who put the majority of the trailers on the site because we're up earlier. And it gets to the point where it's like, well, yeah, you want to show people more watchdogs, but like we already put up three videos this week. What else do you have to show, really? Right. And, and at some point, are you just saturating the market? Um, but, but, you know, I don't know how much that is, is us because we are sort of hyper-exposed to a lot of this material. And we've seen the game at, you know, three or four different shows. And we've seen it for a couple of years. So, I, yeah, I would, I would definitely tell people, uh, think about that. Like, think about how that affects how you perceive these sure. games. Cause I, and, it definitely and, and it, it send creates, me maybe a PM yeah, on the it site. It creates some fatigue. It creates some some. I mean, not that I was ever super interested in black. In fact, I became way more interested in Blacklist once the reviews hit and people told me that game was actually good, which was surprising to me. But you know, so far people seem to be really liking it, which is great. But by the time I had gotten to that game's release date, I was so tired of looking at things for it. And granted, this is maybe very specifically a problem for people who read video game websites every day, of which. You know, that's relatively a niche compared to the overall market of people who are, you know, playing video games and, and, and buying video games. So maybe, you know, the, the super hardcore audience is super sick of it. People like us are sick of it. But, you know, people who are just occasionally looking around for stuff and, you know, coming across, oh, here's some blacklist videos. I can see if this is any good or not. It's totally having the intended effect and it's working. So that's that's maybe the counterbalance I would think about. Uh, hi, I'm Rob points out a new story that wasn't on the podcast and we'd somehow missed was the Xbox One release date eh. uh, was, annu- eh. <laughs> was announced this week for, uh, was it November 22nd? I don't really see what the big right? deal is, to be honest with you. I think it's uh, it's passe. It's old. It's no big deal. No big no deal. Big deal? Uh, so in the U.S., the Xbox One will be a week after the PS4. Yes. Uh, in Europe, uh, the PS4 will be a week after the Xbox right. One. Um which is interesting largely because Europe is usually seen as sort of Sony's territory. So maybe it is advantageous that Xbox One is getting uh, sort of a week one foothold in terms of sort of the PR ramp up for people paying attention to these new consoles. Um, I don't know how much that week makes a difference. I think that makes for very fun speculation and forum fodder. Uh, But at the end of the day, both of these machines are going to sell out uh, their launch allocations I read something that Microsoft is trying desperately to make sure there are at least some units on shelves, like for people who want to like line up and do the last minute thing. Um, but it sounds like their supply is pretty low, and I don't know if if Sony's even really worried about that at this point, so much as they are just getting all their pre-orders filled. So, 
Yeah, my my PS4 pre-order is not day yeah. of. Mine is, is thankfully. Like th- three, mine's th- I think three days okay. later. Like it's, I mean, which yeah. is fine. Like there, there's going to be enough going on that, um, that, that that doesn't worry me too much. But yeah, my Xbox One, I got one of the you know the day one editions of those. But my my PS4 uh, is is a couple of days later. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know this the release date stuff. It, you know, it's not going to – it gives us a snapshot, yeah. but they're going to sell out, and there's going to be so much twisting of numbers that it's not going to be until early 2014 when we get a better sense of how all of this is, is sort of shaking out. Because uh, unlike the Wii U, like, both these machines are going to make yeah. a splash just due to the sheer amount of marketing that is going to be happening uh, to make people what, excited. What it tells it. me is that November is going to be a gigantic shit show. More so than any November yeah. we've had in a very long time. So strap in, motherfuckers, because it's going to be a thing. It's going to be exciting, yeah. too. Um, so, I, you know, uh, people are, are asking whether there are going to be console launch streams. Uh, you are making plans for content that we do not think that far yeah. ahead. Uh, but I would say it is a safe bet that there will be uh, some big deals made about uh, both of those machines in terms of yeah. live video content, that seems that seems like a fairly easy thing to to promise out loud uh, without having had a, a meeting about what we're doing yeah. or not. There um, will be stuff. We'll do some stuff. There will be yeah, stuff, most definitely. You'll be doing a lot of reviews. Oh god. oh god, yeah. It's 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 great that I'm getting the day one console because you know then I can only be a few days late on reviews as opposed to like a week late. So there's that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We're starting to get some of the first chatter and indications of how. That stuff is going to play out, you know, specifically for us yeah. in the press. Uh, but uh, well, for us, not so much because we're not we... getting like press units sent to us. That's not happening. Those are going to the no. office. No, so. no, no, no. Yeah, but it's it sounds like that stuff's going to come yeah. in hot, real uh, hot, which uh, is not not a surprise. So uh, I think with that, I think that's going to bring our, our week to right. an end. I think that's going to be a show. Uh, hopefully, the uh, audio issues figured themselves out. Apologize to people if they had to refresh the chat or if that got them to say f these guys i don't want to reload this page i don't i wouldn't blame you, you one bit for i saying wouldn't f want these guys. i wouldn't want to reload yeah. these page um so yeah we'll, we'll be back on on monday hopefully some stuff happens if over it the doesn't weekend. i don't suppose you have any emergency guests hanging on just in case i don't know i really need to start planning yeah, these things better do. uh in advance yeah uh, but I'm sure that's a refrain I'll be saying every yeah. Friday that I should plan plan more in advance. And instead, I'll just worry about it at, at 9, 10. It's like, oh, wait, we have to do this in 20 minutes. Um, so, yeah. So, appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, everyone have a good weekend. Uh, what are, you, are, you, are you playing anything specifically well, this so, weekend? Well, so, yeah, I just got this copy of NHL 14. Uh, I got to get that hey. together for the review embargo, which is, uh, oh, uh, two and a half hours ago. So, I, I should probably start working oh, on that. Oh, great. Well... Um, other than that, I'm going to finally uh, jump in on some Saints Row 4. Uh, I played Gone Home already. That's something we could talk about on Monday if we uh, if we want to talk about some stuff. Uh, All right. I have, some, I have some thoughts on that, that whole thing, uh, which I would like to engage you with. But uh, other than that, I'm just going to watch some fucking football. Yeah. Yeah. My Sundays don't exist anymore. I know, right? It's At great. All. It's great to not have to worry about what you're doing on Sundays because your Sunday is already planned for you. If there's all this football, you just have to watch it. What? Well, 
and also, I mean, this is more applicable to, to you and I because of the way the time zones work out. Man, those last football games, they don't end until oh, late. No, that was something when I moved, like, uh, first moved to Boston, I started trying to watch a, a football game. I was like, holy shit, it's like 1130 and this is still going. I have to, I have to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I am looking forward to that. And I'm glad that because of Peyton Manning's historic seven touchdown game, I don't even have to worry about one of yeah, my I got other Demarius leagues. Thomas like, I guess league, so I'm good. Oh, yeah. there you go. There you go. All right. Well, everyone else, enjoy your weekends, and uh, we will see you guys bright and early again on, on uh, Monday morning. So. Ow! All right. Bye, bye Alex.